Hello, and welcome to Make Mine Multiversity, the best podcast in our universe for exploring the Marvel multiverse. I'm Jake Hill. And I'm Elias Rosner. And this week we're going off script uh, and winging it with all things Marvel. Excelsior, you you took that kind of uh, unsurely and that, that kind of deflated my Excelsior. <laughs> well, we are going off script. That, that's true. After many weeks of um, reading... <laughs> oftentimes 20 or more issues per episode and uh taking copious notes we are just talking about like marvel comics and it's what is happening in them in 2021 it's gonna be great i'm sure all of you people who come here for the newest hottest goss will be very happy that we are still a couple months behind yeah i i, I don't think we're the first destination for gossip no uh let's let, I would hope not. I I hope we bring some nice quality uh, descriptions. Not that gossip can't be, but that um, well, sometimes it's just just not so great. I love it. I just don't know any. That's my problem. Fair enough. <laughs> um. Fair enough. So, Elias, uh, what you been reading? I've been well. I've I've tried very hard for this podcast and for the site to stay up to date on as many books as I can. Uh, however, I can keep up with them. How mu- how much is that? How much of like all of the Marvel books uh, released do you read in a week? You think? Oh, in a week? Uh, depends on how up to date I am, because sometimes other life things come in the way. Other books yeah, yeah, projects. of course. Um, but assuming that I'm reading fairly consistently, the answer is all of them. You read every single uh, issue that because I um I did that in two thousand nine was uh, I, at the time I was definitely reading every single book that Marvel was putting out, um, catching up as fast as I could. Yeah, but no, since I then, am... I feel like uh like now I probably read uh like a quarter of all Marvel ongoings, and you know I drift in and out, and if I I people something I remember getting positive buzz, I'll go back and read it. Like, Kieran Gillen's The Eternals. I read the first couple issues, and then I was like, all right, I want to read this, but I can't keep up with this month to month. Like, I can't remember who all the freaking Eternals are. My disdain for The Eternals, I think, is well-documented on this podcast. <laughs> it will change one day. Um, Man, Richard Madden and company, uh, you have a gargantuan task ahead of you. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I'm going to, like, read The Eternals, but I don't know, like, what Marvel stuff is coming out. Uh... But would you say it's a Titanic? You know, cause Oh, because they're the Titan. Eternals yeah, of Titan? <laughs> yes, I, I, <laughs> I would say. This is the quality content you all come here for. Um, But, like, so I keep up with, um, like, Chip Zdarsky's Daredevil... Uh, if I see that has come out this week, I will pick it up no matter what. And um, Immortal Hulk, I've been reading it since it started, and I'm going to read it till it's done. Yeah, which is really, well, I think by, I don't know if by the time this podcast comes out, it will be over, uh, or it'll be over in like a couple weeks, because uh, October is the final issue of Immortal Hulk, number 50, which I can't believe that it's ending. It feels like it's been com- building towards an ending, which is nice, and it's nice to have it be like you know, complete and final. But uh, I am gonna be sad to see it go. Yeah, 
No, definitely. I and uh, but I've loved these last couple issues. At the end, it's really picked up a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Not that it was ever a dud, but um, it just uh, it feels like it's got this renewed and refreshed sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. And I've been loving it, Immortal Hulk. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, one of the best books on the stands, no matter the company, but especially out of the Marvel books. But yeah, to go to kind of go back to what yeah, I I definitely have a f- bunch of series that they come out. I'm like I have to read them this week. And other times there are books where, you know, I'll wait until three or four issues are out and then I'll read them or, you know, full trade. And that's when I catch up. Um, And that's often just because there are other books that I'm like, I want to read this this week instead. And they just slowly fall down the pile. Oh, sure. Like that's a Black Widow for me. Oh, no, not even for no, not even like Black Widow level quality. I just mean like there are some books where I ha- I'm like I feel obligated to read them, and others where I'm like I enjoy this, but it's not must read books. Like uh, I feel uh, mm-hmm. Iron Man is one I know a lot of people keep up with out of obligation because Iron Man is uh, not usually good. Yeah, but uh, well, I'm liking what Cantwell's been doing. It's been it's been fun, but it's definitely hard to do on a monthly basis. That's a, so Christopher Cantwell's become a, one of those creators who, uh, if he's on a book, no matter what, I will check it out. And so I've been reading and enjoying, actually, uh, The United States of Captain America. Mm-hmm. Um, I know everyone's kind of going over that with a fine-tooth comb, but I'm just enjoying it as like a jam session. I like it when Captain America like goes on a road trip across America. I feel like uh, he should do that every 10 years or so. I mean, it's kind of a combination of a bunch of quintessential American things, like the road trip in the 20th century has become, you know, inextricably linked with America as a concept. And if you've got Captain America, he's got to go on a road trip somehow. Totally. And I just, I just, um, rewatched a show that I love, which is Halt and Catch Fire, which was created by Christopher Cantwell. Mm Mm-hmm. And so much fun to watch that show while you're reading his comics and like catching like themes he likes and the, the kinds of characters he's obsessed with. Yeah. Just like there's a guy who, um, you know, there's a bunch of writers who, if you get really into their work, uh, you could like see it across mm-hmm. issues. That's something that uh, a lot of people love about Jonathan Hickman, right? He's got a lot of similar themes across his different big Marvel runs. Mm-hmm. And uh, X Men, obviously, I, I've, every week I read every single issue because I read a column, but also because it's it's the, the most fun thing to keep up with. I'm even reading the ones I don't like. It's funny. I usually, I either am reading it week to week or at the end of the month, I'm like, all right, I'm now I'm going to read them all in order uh, as they released. Those uh, reading orders are invaluable because uh, you can just grab a whole mess of issues and figure out exactly the order they want you to read them in. I absolutely love them. I'm so yeah. glad they do those still. And, I mean, they used to kind of have that in the back of a lot of the comics. Like, when the Inhumans were coming out as a line, it would be like, this book is coming out this day. This book is coming out this day. And so if you were doing these, like, cross-book reading orders, you could figure it out just by those advertisements in the back of the book. Even if, unlike this stuff, it wasn't as impactful, you know, book to book. Well, and it just goes in – this is where we could talk about X-Men forever, where, like, the whole thing has a design aesthetic and how the uh, order of the issues kind of looks like the data pages. So it draws your eye more because – lo- and it, there, there are secret codes in it. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, all that – it doesn't you, – you, you described one thing as an advertisement. That doesn't – what I just described doesn't feel like an advertisement at all, even no, though it might it be. Doesn't. 
Um, and then I'll, I'll, I'm inclined to, as I know you are, like check out any mini series that's like eye catching and like a kind of low commitment. Mm-hmm. I'd be happy to open up. So like I grabbed the first issue of Carrie Andrews' Amazing Fantasy. Yeah. And uh, did not pick up the second. I like I said, I read all of them, even if <laughs> I don't wanna. Yeah, uh, but that that's the kind of it's like eye catching. It looks different than everything else. I know there's going to be a couple of them. It like is using the characters in a different or notable way. And then I was like, oh, but it's by Carrie Andrews, whose comics I don't usually like. Yeah, he's great artist. I um, I have not found many of his writing works to be so good. There's something about the interplay between characters. It it always feels so phony, which is terrible to say uh, in that way, in the very... But that's that's always how I feel when I read it. I'm like, I'm not reading real people, and it doesn't even feel like a play where, you know, I know those are characters, but I can get into it. They just... There's something about the quality of, of the dialogue and like the plotting is always like frenetically bouncing from one place to another without much cohesion. But it always looks kind of cool. And he, the monster designs in Amazing Fantasy are very fun. Yeah, that's, that was the when, you, when I flipped through it and I saw those and I was like, oh, this looks interesting. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, not interesting in, in the right kind of way. Um as I was looking back at everything I've been reading, something I noticed is um, my uh, Al Ewing has become a guaranteed guy for me, and I don't think that was always true in the past. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I've I've always gone back and caught up with things that he's written, but like I wasn't keeping up with a lot of his Avenger stuff when it was coming out. Yeah, and I'm starting to feel like Al Ewing is becoming the guy. You know what I mean? The Marvel guy. Yeah, just like uh, the guy that uh, that everyone is following. Um, Slowly, they, slowly, and yeah. It, it's when uh, they give you more and more books, and then they start giving you events, and then they give you like bigger events. I just feel like uh, the the tide is going to turn against Al Ewing because the the bigger they build you, the more uh, pushback you get. Because the guy who used to be the guy is Jason Aaron, and he's not doing very having very much impact at all, right? No, and I think, uh, but I think that's more because of the way he's been writing his Avengers book. It just felt so out of step with everything else. It felt so weird. And I I still really enjoy the Avengers stuff, but you do you read some of these arcs and you're just like what's going on? What are, why why are we doing it this way? Why are we doing this? He'll pick up ideas and he won't really follow up on them. Um, well, every story just feels like the biggest thing ever, and then none of the other books notice it whatsoever. It's just like a yeah. it's a huge rock and then there's like not a no ripples. And this and while I think I'm going to make a comparison, don't get mad at me, but this oh, reminds, no. it's, reminds me of Jeff Johns's Justice League, where you've um, got six no, not arcs, at all. and each arc is kind of like the biggest event ever, and like I think that's the ethos he brought to it, and I, like, I do like that ethos ideas, that idea, but... That's not who the Avengers are, and that's also not uh, without something greater in the background. Like, all the Heroes Reborn stuff and the setup for that, that's the kind of stuff I wanted more of in Avengers. Less, here's a six-issue 
round robin tournament to find out who's the next Phoenix and more, you know, slow political intrigue and or like I'm actually really digging the World War She Hulk stuff. Like I'm like, I don't know what's going on, but <laughs> it's really interesting. It's it feels very different. The Kanchu stuff I could have left. I'm like, alright, sure, whatever. Yeah, that was my uh, definitely my least favorite arc. Although uh, the Phoenix one didn't really do it for me either, although that had a lot to do with the art. Mm, yeah. Um I think that's but... why Jason Aaron's kind of been because he had his he had his big event, and I don't know if he necessarily wanted to do you know, with War of the Realms, and then he did Heroes Reborn. And Heroes Reborn was a a fun romp. I loved it. Well, that's the thing, is a lot of it is fun. It's just that uh, no one seems to be taking their leads from Jason Aaron. Like, uh, I'm reading a bunch of the Krakoa books. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading all of the Krakoa books. And none of them have mentioned the Phoenix Tournament. And that seems like something that, the, uh, like, Gene might have an opinion about. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of them are, like, it seems to know what's going on with uh, the wedding between Hulkling and Wiccan. Yeah. And... And that's because I feel like Al Ewing is driving more and more of the story. Uh, he's doing the uh, he's Last also Annihilation. Part of the X room. That's true. Um, but like uh, I'm feeling the impact of a Last Annihilation in a whole bunch of books. That feels that feels like a huge thing. And Jason Aaron's just doing his one book, and no one else uh, seems to be noticing it. Yeah, which is kind of sad. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But I, I think it, mm-hmm. in a couple of years we'll, we're going to be looking at Al Ewing and be like, why is no one noticing all these fun Al Ewing uh, developments? I don't know. Uh, a... Yeah. Uh, we kind of already had that, though, with like Ultimates and and all of this stuff pre-Immortal Hulk. He was just kind of quiet. He did when he did the defend that Defenders miniseries. It came and it went, and that was fun. But no one really picked up on it much. And, and what now? Al Ewing is doing the Defenders. Yeah. So I don't know where he'll be. I don't think it's going to turn against Al Ewing in the same way, but it might. I mean, this is what happened to Grant Morrison over at DC. Granted, there was also the behind-the-scene politics and Final Crisis being kind of nonsense. There was a, a really good <laughs> Comic Book Herald article kind of defending Final Crisis, and I'm like, I, I understand where you're coming from. But I also think it's utter nonsense, no matter which way you cut it. I could not tell you the story of Final Crisis, but I could tell you a lot of stuff that happened in Final Crisis. I could tell you and images. That, yeah, and I think that counts for something. Like I, I could just like list like this was awesome and that was so cool, but I could not tell you what the story was. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh, for another, I, I have read that thing. Ten times cover to cover, <laughs> including the like Superman single issue tie-in things, because that's in the collected edition. Um, and I, like I said, this is my feeling after reading all of that, just to understand it a little bit. I got a big like uh, four shelves on a bookcase full of Marvel trades, and then I have like one and a half shelf uh, of DC trades, mm-hmm. and I got Final Crisis in there. <laughs> yeah. Um. The other thing that Al Ewing is doing that I never, ever, ever miss an issue, I read this all the time, first the chance I get, is his Guardians of the Galaxy. And we just got off of a huge run reading uh, the definitive run of Guardians of the Galaxy. Are you uh, mm-hmm. keeping up at all? I am. I've, I've been loving it. Uh, I know the last Annihilation stuff has been a little weird after coming off of, you know, the actual Annihilation stuff. <laughs> the first Annihilation. <laughs> Uh, it doesn't quite have the same annihilation feel, but it's got flavors of it. And, you know, I 
Marvel currently has an issue where the different hands don't talk to each other. Like something's going on with editorial where each set of books are doing good things on their own, but the Marvel universe itself feels a little more fractured than it probably should. Uh, because Dormammu is here, but strange Academy has been building up Dormammu coming back for a while. And I mean, the two don't have to talk to each other necessarily, but like when you've got something like general Ross dying, but not actually dying in captain America, this was a couple of years ago. And then immortal Hulk picking up on that and developing it in a way, assuming Ross was actually dead. Like that, those are the kinds of decisions that you're like, you want to let your writers know when something's a fake out. Yeah, that sort of continuity stuff, uh, depending on the decade you're reading Marvel, can really fluctuate with how loose or tight it is. And right yeah. now, I feel like uh, you you get really can feel how there's different editorial offices, mm-hmm. and the people within them are all communicating with each other, but they're kind of like in these little closed boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's reflected like stylistically across the line. Um, I agree that Last Annihilation is a little bit... Um, it doesn't have the impact or urgency of the first Annihilation comics, but what it really reminds me of is a lot of the fun I had with uh, Jason Aaron's uh, War of the Realms, mm-hmm. where uh, it's just like this big war story, and there's all these little missions, and all these different squads of heroes are going to do the mission. And like uh, there was... Uh, did Jerry Duggan do that cable... That awesome cable one shot. Yeah, cable uh, decompressed, de- dearmed, uh, reloaded, reloaded, <laughs> cable reloaded. That was fantastic. That was one of my favorite issues uh, of the the last month. Um, but that was just a cable and a team of cool mutants doing like a mission in the last annihilation, and it ruled. And uh, all of the the tie-ins have been fun like that. Even though the overall story, I don't know what the hell is happening. I don't know what Dormammu's motivation is. I think he's making like a pentagram out of planets. I mean, sure, why not? A pentagram out of planets is a real Jason Aaron idea. I just I'm, I'm seeing a real uh, passing of the torch or something. Yeah, uh, it could even be that. But then again, Jason Aaron's been do- quietly doing some fantastic work with uh, Torun Grunbeck in with the mighty valkyrie just quietly doing that now ewing was originally the writing partner on that those two definitely uh you, you i guess I, you see this sometimes at marvel like uh kieran gillen did a bunch of work with cy spurrier mm-hmm. where like uh they get you get writers co-credited and then you can like see a a continuity hopefully we'll get that with uh uh if we uh, will we see more issues from anthony Oliveira. oh yeah i hope who so did a some work with Chip Zdarsky. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I think Jason Aaron might might be not on the outs in the way of like they're pushing him out, but he's doing his own thing over with Avengers, and maybe he'll get another. He'll be building to something that's pretty big, um, but it it may have been he's all the torch has already been passed because uh, he's been at he's been doing things for 10, 15 years with them already since like the Wolverine books he was doing. Yeah. His Wolverine books were some of the first stuff I was reading monthly when I came back to Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I've been with him for his whole career and it feels like a long time to me. <laughs> I was in a very <laughs> different place when I was reading this, you know, I still haven't read those. I feel like I should go back and read them. Oh yeah. Uh, one day they're, uh, 
they were uh, the thing that taught me how to read monthly comics because the wow. pacing was very frustrating monthly, but then there was this big payoff, and I, I felt really rewarded for keeping up with it. And in trade, uh, I, I don't since you don't have to wait as long, uh, you'll you'll quickly get a feel for for how he's leading you through this story. It's like a very annoying yeah. structure. Yeah. I um, gotcha. One of the, I guess one question I had for you: Have you been reading the Star Wars stuff? So I was keeping up with everything, a single issue diligently, and then War of the Bounty Hunters, I fell off. I, um, by every single thing, I'm sorry, I mean I was reading the main Star Wars series by Charles Soule. Is, mm-hmm. um, Charles Soule's Star Wars comics are extraordinary. I think he, he's so excellent at it, and I love that this is becoming, um, he's becoming like the the core of the written Star Wars line. I've been reading some mm-hmm. of his novels, too, and they're they're fun. They're, they're a bop. Mm-hmm. Um. And he's great on the Star Wars main title. I think he's having a great time. And then I love Greg Pak on um, Darth Vader. There's been three incredible runs of Vader in a row, and all of them have felt so different. And they've all been so good. Um, and then, oh my goodness, who's the writer right now on Afra? I love this book. Uh, I think it is Alyssa Wong. Yes, yes, Alyssa Wong, who did a bunch of the Overwatch comics, which I also thought were fun. Yeah. Oh, I have I haven't read any Overwatch comics. I was into Overwatch for a bunch of years, mm-hmm. and I thought those comics were a delight. Um, yeah, she's doing Afra. That's my favorite of the Star Wars books. That's a great time. And then I wasn't liking Bounty Hunters. It just wasn't for me. And when War of the Bounty Hunters hit, I got, I don't know, I, I recoiled, and I was like, what is this? And I fell off of them. And then when I saw that they were announcing that Charles Soule was doing a Kira comic from the character from Solo, which is a good Star Wars movie that I like. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was an awesome performance uh, from uh, Amelia Clark doing like a great femme fatale. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm into her getting a comic. I love that character. Well, and mm-hmm. um, and when I realized the War of the Bounty Hunters had a bunch to do with her, that actually brought me yeah. back into it. And now, I, so I missed a bunch of issues there, but I'm having I, I jump right back on, and I'm having a great time with um, Kira becoming like a big villain in the Star Wars galaxy, mm-hmm. like a pirate, a, a cool martial artist pirate queen i love that and i hope that this doesn't stop us from getting whatever like goddamn disney plus show so that amelia clark can get paid <laughs> who knows i i didn't see solo but when they started so more of the oh, we should watch hunting. solo solo is great solo is a fun time maybe one day uh, everyone that complains because there's a part in solo where um the, the the imperial officer is like, uh, well, you know, who are your people? Who are you traveling with? And he goes, I don't have people. I'm alone. And he's trying to sound like this cool teenage Han Solo. Yeah. And the guy goes, Han Solo, in the most sarcastic voice. And everyone's like, ugh, did they need to explain where the name Han Solo came from? And I, I like, they didn't need to explain, but that's hilarious. Han Solo got his name because some sarcastic imperial officer was just like, oh, you think you're cool for traveling alone? That's your name now. I don't give a shit. <laughs> that, I think that's an amazing joke, and everyone is complaining about that. It's humorless. Okay. All right. I haven't seen um, the movie, so I can't. I'm not allowed to weigh in, even though I do think that's very stupid. I it is stupid. It's a, it's a it's a hilarious <laughs> stupid joke. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, War of the Bounty Hunters has been focusing on Crimson Dawn, and when I yeah. read that, I'm like. These be- this name sounds really familiar, and like they were setting all this stuff up. And I'm like, oh, it's the Solo group. And that's what's been so interesting about this era of the Star Wars comics, uh, like after the Jason Aaron era, is that, or I guess now it's the Empire Strikes Back era. 
Uh, yeah. That well, what used to be called the Shadows of the Empire era. Ooh. But the all of the books are really doubling down on tying in the prequels and, more importantly, the sequel trilogy into the lore. So, like, they're setting up the bullshit with the Sith Wayfinders and... Oh, one of my um, favorite things has been uh, Ochi... What, what's yeah. his name? Oh, the... the 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 eye the eye of um, Ochi or something he's like a Ochi of Bastoon or something like that and uh, he he was in episode nine as a corpse oh yes they find know, his body I was, I was thinking the eye of Webish Bog <laughs> yeah I, sure that's... absolutely if you haven't been reading this Darth Vader book just know there's a character called the eye of Webish Bog and it is hilarious you need to read this book yeah now i've been i i have to go back and catch up on a couple issues but greg fox been killing it he never does bad work and i would never have uh imagined him on a vader book and now i feel like a fool because um he wrote a bunch of like a great magneto book Mm -hmm. and uh and his vader is excellent yeah ochi of bastoon is uh as an as the assassin basically filling the dr afro role from the original Darth Vader series uh, under Gillen, uh, kind of. Oh, that, and uh, you know, mm-hmm. he's got he's got like a real like taskmaster attitude. Is why I because yeah. I, he he didn't have any uh, characterization whatsoever, but he's like a real like scumbag backstabber. And mm-hmm. Greg Fox writes him like really well actually, but also you can kind of feel that he's like there to be a punching bag to get back at Episode Nine for being so spiritually bankrupt. <laughs> Because here's this character who's just, like, spiritless, right? He's just, like, this soulless mercenary creep. And Vader just is knocking him around. like, uh, And it, it, it makes you root for Vader because he's beating up Episode Nine in a way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Goddamn Sith Wayfinder. Ugh. Oh, my God. Why? Yeah. Why couldn't they just make it a holocron? I, I don't know. I don't know. They brought it in. But... Yeah. Wayfinder Wayfinder is such a placeholder word. If I was writing something, I would put brackets around Wayfinder and then note to myself <laughs> to come up with an interesting name at some point. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely um, not the worst thing that's currently going on in the in the Marvel Universe. The worst thing? I I don't know how to even rank that. I guess I'm not reading all of it, so you could, you're more definitively could tell us the worst thing. Well, yeah. But, yeah. I, I mean, right now, the thing that I am most disappointed on a weekly or at this point bi-weekly uh no i don't know i think it's weekly right now on a weekly basis is spider-man which is sad because there are like three different spider-man books coming out right now uh, and i'm really enjoying one of them uh non-stop spider-man i've really been enjoying that uh web of spider-man disappointing disappointing uh, the the characterization of all of the non-Spidey characters makes me sad. You've got Moon Girl, you've got um, some Iron Man supporting character, and you've got Squirrel Girl, and all they do is snipe at each other like these big-headed assholes, and that's none of them. It made me sad. Yeah, that sounds like a bummer. I haven't been keeping up with that one. I keep on... I mean, I've had such an interesting time with Amazing Spider-Man because when it first came out, I thought it was... Uh... It was fun and, like, light on its feet. And um, 
And I thought that the setup with uh, Kindred was really good. I know that they dragged it out for a long time, but that's Spider-Man tradition. Sometimes you drag out villain identities for way too long while other stuff happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked the Mary Jane going cross-country and them doing yeah. the uh, uh, the long-distance relationship. That was like a really interesting story, too. Um Craven hunted was stupid, but I had fun with it. Like the conceit of him stealing all the animal villains was really funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um and having them like on this weird most dangerous game nature preserve that was Central Park. I don't know. That's just the kind of weirdness that I think works for Spider-Man. And the Craven cloning thing I thought was like a fun way to keep perpetuating Craven as a villain, which you know they got to do. Yeah. Um yeah. sadly. So, yeah, but uh, Craven with the Craven was the best Craven. That's true. I did not dig. Well, I guess the the kindly Craven who was friends with Squirrel Girl was the old man who died, yes. and uh, his his awful clone son has taken his place. Yeah. Um. But then when around the time Sin Eater came in, I really started souring on that book. It just started getting uh, dour and no fun, and I wasn't uh, looking forward to picking it up. <laughs> and then when the Osborne stuff started happening, okay, I guess my, my big theory is I think that Spider-Man writers now love to do this thing where they try to do this flex, where they take a much-hated uh, famous Spider-Man story like Clone Saga or uh, what's the terrible one where uh, Norman Sin's has sex past. with Gwen. Sin's yeah, Sin's past. past. Um, or uh, some of the weirder J. Michael Straczynski stuff that's kind of controversial, or One More Day. There's all these like terrible, hated Spider-Man stories, and modern Spider-Man writers love to try to be the one to like redeem that story and fold it back into the continuity in a way. Mm-hmm. And that's around the time with the Osborns when he started flirting with all that sort of sins past stuff, and it was just like a real bummer. It wasn't fun to be reminded of those stories, and it didn't feel like it was adding anything. And uh, once Kindred was revealed to be Harry... I maybe or or not. Well, yeah, it got confusing, but I just I thought that was a fine idea that definitely like Harry had the impact that this character was trying to have. Yeah, when they were teasing the who is it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was um, it was somewhat predictable, but uh, but I didn't. Uh, but then just like. I don't know. The writing got bad. I, every time I read Harry's speeches, they sound like a generic villain speeches. I don't feel like any like spirit in any of it. None of them are, have any connection. It just feels like a bunch of people woodenly uh, making hero and villain speeches at each other. And they've done the same arc set of speeches three times now. In yeah, three just... subsequent arcs. Why? Why are we dragging this out so much? Yeah, I, and the then the pacing has completely crashed. Yeah, it's maddening, especially what's one of Spencer's biggest problems, and this has been from day one, is he doesn't know how to reveal information. He knows really well how to like make the you know mystery set up. Like, really, like, get you, if not invested, like, create the scenario for the mystery. He did this in the Archie comics, which he wrote five issues of and then fucked off. Yeah, uh, I like those five issues. I yeah. liked it. And, he, and in Morning Glories, I thought he did a good job with uh, revealing information. I know that that was a opaque book. Yeah. But I th- haven't read it. But, yeah, he, he does very good at creating that, that scenario, but then the payoff he doesn't know when to do it. He doesn't know how to do it. And when, when he does 
reveal like when there are revelations there's they're ruined like the reveal of harry osborne the impact of of the reveal page was moot because he had made the reveal in some random com comment three issues before and then six issues before that he already had a reveal of you know harry unmasking himself to um to norman or something yeah and and, You've but, already done but, the reveal three times already, and you want this big one to Peter to have the same impact for the audience. What it comes down to, I think, fundamentally, I, I am not buying anyone's motivations anymore. I don't understand yeah. why anyone's doing like uh, so right now, and I'm totally confused and not keeping up with this, and I don't feel that compelled to go back. Um, there's something yes. going on with a bunch of different factions of Sinister Six villains are having like a war with each other. And they were developed every... in the, the back up two pages of the amazing spider-man issues over the the last arc that was the entire development of these these groups and why they might be fighting each other yeah but like a a good monthly comic book i should be able to open it up and immediately get everyone's motivations just from uh uh you know quick dialogue or what what they're doing and none mm -hmm. of them are ever doing anything they're all just getting into these like bumping into each other getting into these brawls and squawking at each other and then running every which way. It's just like chaos, and uh, it feels like wheel spinning is what it feels like until yeah. the next uh, Spider-Man era, which also I've got mixed feelings on. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we've been promised reveals. Will we get them? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if there are any reveals uh, that matter well, by the end of this run. Well, and here's a weird, uh, you know, Elias, mm -hmm. there's another uh, book, another book about a spider themed hero <laughs> that, um, that I have been keeping up with. Mm -hmm. Um, it doesn't really connect to Spider-Man at all though. Do you know which book I'm talking about? Um, well, I would say, is it Venom, but is it Silk? Uh, I am keeping up with Spider-Woman. Ugh. Yeah. I didn't like that run at the beginning either, uh, but... It's kind of weirdly gotten itself together for me, and I, uh, I had started having more fun with it. I yeah, spider what the Spider Woman like was introduced as like a spy character, and uh, no one's known what to do with her since the two thousands when uh, they replaced her with a scroll, and oh, yeah. uh, and then she tried to be like a private eye, which I know she's a I guess she was a private eye in the seventies comics. Mm-hmm. But um, but the the current Spider Woman comic is um, it's like a cool spy thing, and there's a lot of like her doing Metal Gear Solid stuff, and she's got to like infiltrate the secret base. Yeah, that has been kind of fun. Yeah, I guess you're really keeping up with everything, huh? I am, and uh, Spider Woman's always been near the very bottom of the pack for me. I don't. I, it, it disappoints me that it's so far down and more and more I'm finding that I don't think it's the writing as much. I still have a fundamental problem with most of the way the first arc played out, but uh, the, the art has just felt so mismatched from what they're trying to do. It, it doesn't fit enough of the spy tone. It doesn't fit enough of like the superhero tone. And I don't know, it's just, it's felt like the opposite of Black Widow, where 
I feel like the character has been really rejuvenated and it's having a lot of fun and but it's very interesting it's developing this this larger cast of characters that I care about. I don't give a shit about anyone in Spider-Woman and I and that makes me sad. I want to care about these characters and I want to enjoy the writing. But I just haven't. I know other people are. I know a lot of other people have been enjoying this stuff, uh but just not not me. Um, I, there was, uh, they introduced all of her, like, secret family stuff, and we were just complaining about secret families, but honestly, it had the impact. I thought it was a well-written enough comic that, um, I cared about it, and they were framing it against, um, the most recent time I cared about Spider-Woman was the, the Dennis Halem series about her as a mom. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, uh, and Carla, uh, Carla Pacheco, who's, uh, writing Spider-Woman, was, uh, using that to, like, uh, form some sort of emotional reason to care about Jessica and her family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that she was really successful, but I do agree that the uh, art hasn't been serving the story exactly, and that's somewhat of an impediment for me. Yeah. It's... I mean, it's gonna be... Uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if it turns it around for me. I don't. I don't think it will, and it may just be that it's a book mismatched with my tastes, and that's okay. That happens. Um... But uh, there have been a, a, a few books that have disappointed me and I th- when I thought they would have been good, like the America Chavez miniseries. I don't yeah, know. that one, I found <sighs> that one impen- impenetrable. It's, my issue with it lies in making America more generic. She had a really interesting hook with, so for those who care about spoilers for the America Chavez miniseries, I guess skip a couple minutes. Um, I mean, I, but, this is the episode where we're just talking about current Marvel. It says yeah, it right on the so tip. it's just all, all spoilers all the time. The The thing that got me was it's one big retcon to America Chavez's backstory, and which was intentionally left fairly open because, you know, future writers to explore it. Right, um, but it involves stuff like uh, she was from this pocket dimension that Wiccan had created mm-hmm. through his magical powers, where um, uh, everyone lived in this like gigantic version of New York and had and everyone had superpowers. And her moms uh, were both uh, like uh, protectors and guardians of that universe. And then as the, and then she got like sent out like Superman as the universe was imploding by her two moms. Yeah, to and go it, protect our universe. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of sad. It's it's tragic and. I guess the idea was to try and change her. They changed her origin. They tried to to decouple it from Wiccan, I guess, in that way. But basically, they invalidate the entire existence of this other dimension. I think it's hard to tell. I don't. I don't there's a big portal on this. Basically, America Chavez uh, is actually a real human woman who got who who her moms were brought her to some secret island and she was experimented on with all these other and she had a sister that she knew about or that she used to know about and then when she's sent off superman like away from this island as her moms try to get her to safety they are killed or they disappear I don't even remember, but the sister is left on the island she has a chip on her shoulder and so the whole miniseries is this sister being, you know, generic evil doppelganger trying to recreate a family by murdering the entirety of America Chavez's 
adoptive family. She doesn't kill anyone, but she tries. What What's tough for that about all the for me about the that miniseries is I had read more or less all of America Chavez's appearances up until this point, point. Mm-hmm. and you really felt this like simple soap opera continuum from them, where like. Uh, she shows up, she dates this one boy, then she dates this, like, uh, pa- oh, then she hangs out with Kate Bishop a bunch, and they have a bunch of tension, but she ultimately dates this paramedic who dumps her when she goes to college, right? And then she finally ends up, like, living on the beach, and she's dating this, like, surf shop owner who's secretly a Dora Milaje. Mm-hmm. Um, and they get into wacky adventures together all the time. And I loved America Chavez as this, like, West Coast beach bum, uh like getting into scrapes with her pal Kate Bishop. That was like yeah. a fun status quo. And now suddenly it, th- this story feels so unmoored and it has such a consequences for everything else that we went from like this fun, I see how we got here to now I have no idea how we got here. Yeah. And it rerouted her in, oh, was it Brooklyn or the Bronx? But New York. It rerouted her in New York, which is unfortunate because so many heroes are from New York. I mean, I, mean, I understand why they were doing it. But... She's from the New York dimension, which is yeah. cooler. And then she still ended up in California. And she seems like such a Cali girl. Yeah. So there was a lot ill-considered in that series. And it just... Yeah. Which is, which is again, big shame. I wanted to like it a lot more. And unlike the previous America series, which I didn't particularly like, but that was less because I thought there was like something fundamentally wrong with it and more of the writer, I think, just hadn't adapted to comics super well yet. Um, That's a fair criticism. Yeah, it was just very wordy. Can I tell Uh, you uh, why one reason why I'm very affectionate for that series? Why? I was working for CBR at the time, mm-hmm. and there was like a stupid little clickbait story that I had to put together because that's what you do when you work for CBR mm-hmm. uh, about how um, the uh, the the off uh, how uh, Justice Soda, Sonia Sotomayor mm-hmm. of the Supreme Court was the namesake of the uh, interdimensional university that America Chavez was attending. Mm-hmm. So I wrote my little clickbait article about that, and that article got retweeted by the just by the account of Justice Sotomayor. Oh, that's super cool. And I was just like, this is the most uh, Twitter famous I'm ever going to get. <laughs> but I felt I felt cool. And um, so th- thanks to that series. That's um, great. Uh, the I mean, my connection to that series is that the author is an alum of the same college I went to. Uh, so that's why I especially feel bad about not liking that series. <laughs> but yeah, uh, like solidarity. I said, the farther away from it I get, the more I'm like, you know, I should go back and reread that. I'm sure it's not not as you know disliked as as I I remember it. No, uh, I remember it. Be it's a pleasant, and not yeah. very uh, not very high maintenance. This I think I will look back on in in sadness. I will not. I will not like this miniseries. Uh, I suspect, which is a shame. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's someone I've gotten uh, weirdly into though. Who is um? So I read every Taskmaster miniseries that comes out, and the uh, last one, yes, was by Jed McKay. <laughs> and then I was like, "Hey, this is pretty good. Where's this guy uh, been in Marvel?" And it turns out he's been <laughs> writing that that Black Cat series. I've I had a feeling in my gut. I'm like, "Is he about to say Jed, uh, just Jed McKay?" 
Is Jake about um, to say Jed McKay? Yeah. And um and I realized I and I, and I never read that um that Black Hat series and I realized the thing that kept me away is the covers are all by artists I don't like. Yeah. <laughs> And when I saw, whenever I see these uh, covers, I'm like, ah, oh, that book can't be any good. But I know people love it. And I also didn't know that Black Cat was a character I like wanted to get into. But it's now I so think I gotta. so fun. Yeah, I think I gotta go back and check it out. You do. Marvel Thief stuff. I love Thief stuff in general. I mm. love the video game series Thief. I love uh, the Gentleman Bastards. <laughs> I love the role playing game uh, Blades in the Dark. Like, give me oh, Dishonored. All about thieves. But the Marvel thieves uh, never. Are never as cool as I want them to be. Black Hat and Gambit, yeah, are just like they never, uh, they never quite deliver for me. Yeah, I. I uh, so I I'm excited. That. I'm excited to uh, to give the McKay a shot. Yeah, Jed McKay's been doing some quietly been doing a lot of really fun books uh, under the surface, and you know, Black Hat's been kind of kind of the best of them. The, but the rest have all been kind of like miniseries, one shots, that sort of thing. Uh, I've been really loving Black Cat from the beginning. It's it's got a a fun, playful energy to it that I think Jed McKay is going to bring to his other books. Uh, he's writing something that's coming out soon, but I don't remember what it was. Uh, oh no! But he and he's been writing the new Moon Knight stuff. Oh I've yeah, I, I have to. I have yet to check that out, but I've got to because I loved that uh, Jeff Lemire Moon Knight so much. Yeah, it's very different, uh, and I'm I'm waiting for a few more issues to really get like a feel for the run. It's, it hasn't grabbed me as initially as the um, as the Jeff Lemire run has, but it's been it's been silently one of the one of those good good ones that have grabbed me. Um, before we head to commercial. I guess my question for you is, I'm a person who, uh, I've got a great reading list now of things I want to catch up on from from listening to you. Uh, what, Knowing what you know about my reading taste, what's the one series you think that I would not be on my radar at all that I definitely need to be reading? The one, oh, um, I mean, we had a whole bunch of ones that just ended, and we've had a few minis. Because, uh, like, Captain America just ended. Ta-Nehisi Coates' run. I have that uh, checked out from the library to read, actually. That one's that one's fun. I, I want to read that as, as the whole run. Every time yeah. I checked in with those issues, I uh, yeah, he, wasn't he's liking it as definitely, much. He's always been a writer that trades are where he thrives. And I'm almost certain you've been reading the Shang-Chi series. Oh, yeah. I uh, wouldn't miss the Jin Luen Yang Marvel work. Yeah. He's killing it. He's been killing it. Yeah. I like when mm-hmm. there's a writer who just comes in to do like one Marvel series as a little treat. Mm-hmm. Like uh, they're still doing like a ton of their own stuff and they're all over the place. But they'll like uh, that's uh, with Kieran Gillen on the Eternals uh, and and Jin Luen Yang doing Shang Chi. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just makes it feel so much more special than when they're doing <laughs> like three or four books. Yeah, yeah. All right, I've got I've got two books for you. I'm excited. Hit me. Um, one of them I might have already been on your radar. Um, these are both miniseries. Okay. Uh, it's the Beta Ray Bill miniseries by Daniel My Warren man, Johnson. Daniel Warren Johnson. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the Larry Hama Iron Fist Heart of the Dragon series. Um, 
I'm sorry to say, Elias, I, I didn't realize I, I had been keeping up with so much, but those are both things that I had read. I like uh, miniseries a lot, and I like both those creators are just like guys who, yeah, I could read four issues of a Larry Hama any day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that guy uh, invented the uh, turn of phrase, the old knucklehead. <laughs> well, then I'm just going to say uh, keep reading the Eternals. Keep reading. <laughs> keep reading them. I got plenty to read, and uh, those are all. I'm, I'm glad you highlighted all those. Those are the things I wouldn't have thought to mention, but are all a great time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when we come back from the break, we will talk a little bit more about something a bit more general than just these specific books. Something about the the comic business as a whole. Yeah. Hello, podcast listeners. We're the hosts of the DC3Cast. I'm Zach. I'm Vince. And I'm Brian. Each week, we discuss most of the new releases from DC Comics, focusing mainly on Rebirth, Wildstorm, and Young Animal. We also look at the news of the week, discuss the film and television adaptations of DC material, and dig into industry rumors. We've also had a number of DC creators on our show, like Scott Snyder, Jim Lee, Christopher Priest, Steve Orlando, and Joshua Williamson. So, if you like Borat jokes, my wife, Dio impressions, this is bad, what the f***? And an in-depth look at DC each week, join us every Wednesday morning at multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. Come get Jurgens with us and welcome back um so elias so you got the concerns that aren't limited to just marvel this but to, is uh, true the comics business as a whole yeah uh before we get to that i want during the break i remembered one of the books that i wanted to recommend uh over to jake and that was the ultraman books uh marvel had last year gotten the license to the ultraman sentai series um and Kyle Higgins and Matt Groom came in with, um, uh, I think, not, I think Grunterjern, Grunterjern. I don't know the, ah, uh, I, 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 I couldn't tell it. you. I, I couldn't tell you, but it. it's Ultraman, like, uh, the Super Sentai property? Yeah. No, Francesco Mana is the, is the art, is the artist, uh, Espen Grunterjern is the, um, colorist. So but this is a licensed book mm-hmm. published by Marvel, like uh, yes, like their Aliens and Predators and Star Wars and stuff. Yep, licensed property, and it's been really good. There have been two miniseries so far, and there's going to be a third. Um, it seems like they're doing kind of that model to tell the stories, uh, probably because they didn't know how successful it would be. Uh, and the era of the long-running single series seems to be kind of over, unfortunately. Uh. That's okay for me sometimes. Yeah, but I've I've been really digging it, and I'm not much of an Ultraman fan. I was never much of a Power Rangers fan. Uh, I know very little about Ultraman, although I was a Power Rangers kid. Yeah. Great introduction Uh, to the character. Lots of fun. Sure. I will be sure to check that out. That's a a strong recommendation. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, In the meantime, uh, what's this, uh, this Comics Beat report that has you so concerned? Yeah, so every year... Uh, Comics Beat puts out uh, that I'm just pulling up the article because I uh, am prepared. Uh, but essentially, they put out a um article every year looking at the uh, NPD book scan. I don't know what NPD stands for. Um, maybe National Public Database. 
which is essentially all of the um, numbers for the sales of books uh, in you know either the United States or internationally. I'm not quite sure on the details of it. Uh, we'll put a, a link in the in the show notes. But it, essentially, this has been going on for like 15 years or so, maybe maybe 18, and um, oh, since 2003, thereabouts. And the article's writer, Brian Hibbs, essentially looks at all of the comics sold through bookstores. This is, does not include the direct market, um, just to see, you know, where are the sales going, who's making the money, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And it highlighted something that, and put it into cold, hard numbers, something that I kind of always felt anecdotally, but didn't really understand until I saw it in that, uh, one, Marvel and DC really don't sell shit in bookstores anymore, or, or if ever. Uh, um, no, he's, Brian Hibbs has been doing this column for years, and I've always kept up with it. Although, um, I don't know if I've looked at it specifically this year, but that's the trend he's been tracking for years, is that... Uh, the t- if you look at the top 25 comics sold just like in terms of how many books are being bought by consumers mm-hmm. none of them are going to be marvel in dc no yeah right they're, now... in fact they're they're all from the same series most years yep and i imagine that's true about this year what, what's the series this year so dogman dogman yeah dogman it's been dogman for years brutalizes everyone else um by an order of magnitude more than the second which is all the reina telgemeier books um here are the numbers, and these are incomplete numbers. Brian even says that, like, these are probably undercounts, or these are definitely undercounts, because it doesn't seem to count stuff that's sold to libraries. My, I'm reading between the lines on that one. I don't think uh, it does. Uh, and it also doesn't count, like, ones sold to specialty shops or anything sold through the direct market. Um, and so Pilkey... The art, the author of Dogman, sold in 2020 four million one hundred six thousand seven hundred seventy-two books. Raina Telgemeier, number two on this list, sold one million one hundred twenty-six thousand eighty-three books. Yeah, and then uh, so I don't know if you have the numbers handy, but for comparison, what's like a Marvel book like, like a Spider-Man or a Thor or something? Well. And these are these were by author, um, so let me pull up the Marvel list as I find it. It's pretty far down on the <laughs> right, which yeah. uh, the uh, length of time it takes you to find it is pretty. To quote uh, it, in another humiliating performance, Marvel Comics doesn't even make <laughs> doesn't even make the top ten publishers, and in fact would come in at number sixteen behind Image, Marvel, the brand. The loyalty, the pop culture demand. So it. Just yeah, I seemed... just got a new Marvel game on my cell phone because I was like, yeah, I mm-hmm. could play a little game where I collect like Storm and Kamala Khan or something. Mm-hmm. I-, I could play another stupid little card game because yeah. I love the Marvel brand. And yet, uh, Marvel Comics, why are you not yeah. selling so much? This year had the single worst um, Marvel performance in the top 750 books ever from from him tracking this. Um, they made, uh, like, only six titles broke the top 750, uh, and the unit sales across all six of those didn't even break 50,000. 
Yeah, no. 50,000. That was the yeah. number I was looking for. So we're talking, there's comics being sold in the millions to kids, mm-hmm. and Spider-Man comics aren't even breaking a, you know, an order of magnitude. Yeah, well, yeah, and the funny part is, it's Darth Vader. It's the Star Wars books are the, mo- it's really are the best-selling the, ones. The well, That's, uh, I mean, I'm actually not, not disappointed to hear that, because they are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah they... and you would just think that a beloved brand like Star Wars or the Avengers could uh, compete with Dogman, who I bet a lot of our listeners, unless they have uh, loved ones of a certain age, don't even know what Dogman is. Yeah. Marvel the company does not even sell as many as Raina Telgemeier the person. Yeah, That's and uh, again, you and amazing. I both work in li- we both work in libraries, but I bet a lot of comics readers don't know Raina Telgemeier either. She's not talked about yeah. uh, by in like Marvel and DC circuit cir- yeah. uh, circles. It's kind of wild and kind of kind of sad to see. And one of the weird the weirdest part of this is that, um, and and this is how uh, he identifies this is basically they don't have a good backlist. They the they're looking at the long tail. That was the the number that I quoted as being less than Raina Telgemeier. It's their long tail sales, which is, you know, the books that are that stay in print, you know, that are selling after they've come out in the initial market. Um, Stories like uh, Infinity Gauntlet yeah. or uh, Dark Phoenix Saga, mm-hmm. stuff that uh, perpetually uh, stays in publication and new fans are always discovering and reading because it's like an essential, it's said to be essential or a classic. Mm-hmm. Or even like you know, volume two of the most of like Immortal Hulk. Uh, and it's, but they, their backlist is empty. Books will go out of print like that. Um, I mean, the books kind of, they always look so tiny on the shelves, which is unfortunate. A lot of, you know, a lot of uh, comics when they're coming out in trades do look like that because we've reached the point where th- there's specific paper size and I guess comics collections used to be generally, generally a little bit farther after the fact if something came out. And so they'd be collecting more issues, uh, you know, per volume, as you do. But yeah, the Marvel does not keep anything in print super well. Uh, and I don't know why. And these are in book. These are in book forms. Now, we don't know what the direct market sells and we don't know... I don't know the periodical sales, you know, the floppies. Plus uh, uh, digital yeah. uh, reads and uh, the libraries. Yeah, so I don't know how well they are actually – obviously, they're making enough money. Like, they must be. They're owned by Disney, so that it might be a moot point. They might just get that sweet I, yeah. Disney money. Well, and comics could just be their loss leader because uh, yeah. the comics are forming uh, tentpole movie franchises that are lifting up entire studios. Yeah. And then they're not paying their creators anything. Pittance. Yeah. It's, it was, someone was quoted as they pay $5,000 to anyone who had a you know, a substantial-ish role in creating or reinventing a character that's then being used. Um, or like a, like a storyline that's being used for a movie. They get paid $5,000 flat no matter how successful this movie or anything, which is ridiculous. Yeah, it's almost like, uh, oh my god, I was about to say something sarcastic about capitalism, but I restrained myself. Uh, it's almost like comics is an inherently exploitative industry. And that uh, commerce 
commerce isn't a good uh, uh, motivator for art. Yep. But yeah, so the book scan numbers are disheartening, uh, and they made me realize also why I'm never able to find any of the hardcovers for any of the series I love. Whereas other companies keep these print these things in quantities that will keep them in print for five or six years. So that if someone comes to a series two or three years later or, you know, doesn't have the money now and wants to buy it you know, when they do, they save up to get it. They actually can get a complete collection. Whereas if you don't keep enough in print, no one's going to want to get them because, you know, you miss one volume in the year that it comes out and you're fucked. And you have to pay $600 on eBay. Well, the moral of the story is, as with most things, that uh, you should probably just trust your local library. <laughs> this is true, but what if I want the hardcover on my shelf? I guess you just have to move into a library. <laughs> I guess so. Anyway, that, that that's me wanting to bitch about all of that. No, totally understandable. I feel that frustration, too. I haven't uh, had the space in my smallish apartment to collect comics in a little while, but I'm hoping to... Uh, uh, I'm hoping to refresh my collection once again. Um, but I want to uh, conclude on a note that's a little bit more Marvel. Um, mm. And that is a return of an ongoing segment of the uh, Marvel Heavyweight Championship belt. So this was our month-to-month. We were keeping track of um, which Marvel series we were reading. And each month, the previous month's winner was our champion. But at any point, they could be dethroned and knocked down, and the new champion could be crowned. And they might take the title uh, and have a reign. Um, so it's been a little while, and I'm not going to ask you to uh, look back on your champion if uh, you don't quite remember. That's okay. I think it was. I think my champion was Power Pack. Was Power Pack? I think my champion was uh, Shang Chi. Mm-hmm. Which, interestingly enough, is still a book. Um, but Elias, <laughs> have you uh, given some thought to your uh, most recent championship uh, now, as we're recording at the end of the summer in 2021? As of recording, I. I've given it some thought. I don't know if I have necessarily the, the, the that specific. But I'm trying to I'm trying to pick, um, and it's just there have been a lot of really good books that I've been. I, know, I yeah, love you... this, um, but if I'm going with my with my recency, you know what, I. I have to go with Beta Ray Bill. It's it's completed, it's over, and there have been more issues that have come out since, and I'm sure I could pick one or two of those, like, you know, Gamma Flight or, uh, you know, Daredevil, but Beta Ray Bill was just such a treat, such a beautiful series. Uh, I really hope Daniel Warren Johnson gets to do something else, I know he couldn't really do a monthly book drawing it and writing it like he did. It's always felt like he needs the miniseries model. But I hope he gets to to come back with something else. Um, Give him a series of miniseries. Yeah, Uh, give him a series of miniseries. Give him a bi-monthly book. I'll take anything. Daniel Warren Warren Johnson, I will read anything that that guy produces for any company. Uh, uh, Very kind... When I spoke to him at a con, very uh, talented creator. I love everything about that guy. Mm-hmm. But he's not my uh, heavyweight champion. Who's your heavyweight champion? Is it Daredevil? Well, so sometimes, Elias, in um, 
uh, in in wrestling when mm-hmm. the champion uh, who's been with the company for a long time is looking for retirement is going out the door. You give them one last reign uh, where they get to prove why everyone loved them, why they were the toughest before they uh, go off and hand the belt to somebody else. Mm-hmm. My champion with only one issue left to go is the Immortal Hulk, which these last couple issues have been extraordinary. I just uh, – this – comic feels so vital still uh at the library where i work they're advertising for hoopla which is a really nice service uh that you many americans can get through your library card to uh, check out comics on your computer for free and um or not for free your tax money goes to it thank you for paying taxes thank you um but our ads for it just have the immortal hulk on it like hey you want to read immortal hulk you can get it with your library card because it's (laughs) It's that permeated the the cultural consciousness for people who read comics. But then also just like I was looking at the comic shelf at our library and we have the whole uh, Matt Fraction Hawkeye run and we have, uh, you know, impactful uh, the Scott Snyder Batman run, these impactful superhero runs uh, from the last uh, 10, 15 years. Mm hmm. And I think that uh, Immortal Hulk is that book right now. There's nothing coming out that is as exciting and feels as important as Immortal Hulk. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that is why Immortal Hulk is, uh, for a little while longer before it retires after the next issue, my Marvel Heavyweight Champion. That's a good – I mean, it's a good choice. And it, it might close out on issue fi- – I'm almost certain that issue 50 is going to blow me away. I don't want to raise my expectations beyond what is uh, sustainable, but I feel the exact same way. It's an 80-page giant, and I mean, if it somehow falls flat on its face – it's going to do so in a spectacular fashion because it's Al Ewing. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of brings us full circle is uh, Al Ewing is a can't miss guy for me. Yeah. And it will also bring us at least me full circle on the pod because we were brought in for issue 25. That was my first guest spot on this. That's right. I remember that. That was the uh, impenetrable one that I really liked. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's still kind of impenetrable to me. Yeah. Well, and that that brings us to the end of our catch-up talk. Yeah, this was just it's nice to just like chat about uh comics for a change in like a disorganized fashion. Oh yeah. It it felt nice to not have to kind of be chained to a book trying to pull ourselves through it. As much as I enjoyed the books, like at some point you're just like, "All right, can can we can we talk about something that's not big space war?" Please? Yeah, and it turns out it turns out that Marvel, there's a lot going on in Marvel, and some of it is even good. <laughs> and sometimes it's fun to bitch about bad comics. That's not yeah. a that's not a bad energy. No. So we will. Well, we. I don't think we've decided on what our next book club is going to be. I think we're uh, giving everyone a little break from the yeah. from doing a book club, uh, ourselves included. Yeah. Uh, but we'll be back to it uh, soon enough. Maybe uh, something brief, like a little. Uh, mm-hmm. Graphic, uh, one-shot graphic novel. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. But whatever we decide next week, well, you know, it's the month of spooky, uh, even though the next episode is coming out afterwards. Uh, but we are going to be coming back with our Halloween spooktacular. So get ready for that. Uh, but I'm until excited. then, Jake, where can they find you on the larger interwebs? You can find me over at multiversitycomics.com, which is a pretty great website where I'm still writing an X-Men column. Hickman might be leaving the book. 
X-Men fans in panic. Uh, we're going to be talking about that. And I am reviewing the tail end of Attack on Titan before they release the next batch of episodes. Um, you can also find me on uh, Twitter.com, which is not a great website, but I'm there at rambling <laughs> underscore moose. As for you, Elias, uh, where might people find you on the wider interwebs? They can find me on Twitter at Quetzalish, that's Q-U-E-T-Z-E-L-I-S-H. Um, if you look at the book scan numbers, you'll see that my Twitter handle is nowhere to be found because I have nothing published. Um, and you can find me writing over at multiversitycomics.com. Uh, where I have finished my Demon Slayer reviews for the summer. Uh, my Babylon 5 reviews are finished for the fall. And, you know, I think Riverdale is over. I think it will be. I'm not confident about that. Uh, Supergirl is going to be lasting a little bit longer. That's the final season. And that's what I'm doing. Uh, and soon we'll be doing the end of year stuff. That's scary. <laughs> that is scary. What a and what a year it's been. Yeah, what a month to be scared by that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's been a real one. <laughs> we will see you, Excelsior.